Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today we're going to be taking a look at a video by Stephen Woodford of the channel Rationality Rules as he responds to William Lane Craig's comments on capturing Christianity to comedian Ricky Gervais as Gervais talks about why he doesn't believe in God and some of the problems that he has with Christianity in general, specifically to do with Christian views or what he thinks are Christian views on homosexuality. Uh, this should be a fun video, but let's not spend too much time uh, here at the beginning except to say, if you like the sort of things that you see on this channel, please subscribe. It helps us out. It doesn't cost a thing. But if you don't mind spending a little something, you can get a lot of extra bonus material. Um, five seminary level classes taught by me uh, with PowerPoints. Um, you can get several eBooks for free. My entire uh, trilogy of fiction books, as well as the nonfiction books that I've written and some other things and lost episodes that we never released. And you can get all of those at patreon.com slash Trinity radio. So if you're the kind of person that might buy me a cup of coffee, if you lived in the area so we could talk theology and you get benefit out of this show, you get value out of the show. It costs something to buy the equipment and pay for the monthly subscriptions that we have. So it sure would mean a lot if you gave any amount of money over at patreon.com slash Trinity radio. Um, with that, let's jump right into this. Here is the clip in its entirety. It's 35 seconds long from Gervais that uh, William Lane Craig and Cameron Bertuzzi are responding to. Why, why should they take offense that I don't believe in their God or any other God? And I'd say to them, you know, tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods. And that's the reason I don't believe in yours. And uh, I've got nothing against people believing in God at all. You know, um, uh, in, in fact, if, if it you know, did make you a kinder person. If you only did good things in his name, mm -hmm. then great, you know, but there's the rub. Uh, it's when uh, I see some of these religious fundamentalists saying that um, they've told their five-year-old children that if they turn out gay, they will burn in hell. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is child abuse. That to him is child abuse. All right, so some very interesting comments there. Uh, controversial, right, obviously. Well, let's go ahead and hear what, uh, um, what uh, Stephen Woodford of Rationality Rules has to say about this whole ordeal where Cameron Bertuzzi and William Lane Craig are responding to this. Now, fortunately for the atheist side, we have to say these are not, in fact, the best atheist arguments. But despite his acknowledgement, I feel as though his response to these weaker arguments was really quite poor. And thus, I'd like to still man each as I explain where I believe he failed to adequately encounter them. Now, when I first heard Stephen say that, what I thought that Stephen was trying to say is that he was going to attempt to steel man what Craig has to say about these clips and what he says in response to um, Ricky Gervais, but that that doesn't seem to be what he's saying. What he seems to be saying is that he's going to steal man. He's going to try to steal man Gervais's comments. Well, I think that definitely does happen. What we see in this uh, video from Stephen Woodford is actually having to add to Ricky Gervais's statements in order for them to be in any way defensible or in order to respond to what William Lane Craig has to say in response to them. So he actually talk about a steel man. This this is not just steel manning. This is something beyond steel manning. This is adding to what uh, Ricky Gervais has to say. 
Um, but he far from steel manning William Lane Craig, he it's a there is at least one case where he flat straw mans William Lane Craig and then admits that it might be a straw man. So he says, I'm not really going to present that as what I think he's really saying, but I'm certainly going to suggest it to the audience for them to think maybe that is what William Lane Craig has to say. So we may see a straw man and we definitely see uh, the suggestion at something that would definitely be a straw man. We also see a clear straw man that we're going to get to of William Lane Craig by Stephen Woodford uh, simply because he doesn't understand what Craig is saying. I think we see that a couple of times. So we're going to get to those. So when I first heard him saying, oh, I'm going to try to steal man, I thought he was saying, I'm going to steal man Craig. And I thought, oh, great. And then when I watched the rest of the video, I thought that was not a steel man of Craig. Oh, well, he never intended to steel man Craig. He was steel manning Gervais. And of course, that's a little bit, um, that's what we might expect. But we would have hoped for better. All right, now let's, uh, let's hear what he thinks about Gervais. In fact, when it comes to religion, I share a hell of a lot of views with Gervais. I have no issue with someone being religious. I think that they're wrong, I think that religion poisons everything, and I maintain that faith is the antithesis of reason. But if you're convinced of religious propositions and derive comfort from your beliefs, then, hey, good for you. Yeah, so really condescending, but the idea here is, hey, I got nothing against it. It poisons everything, and I think it's wrong, but hey, I've got no problem. Okay, first of all, you're going to see a lot of, or at least, I shouldn't say a lot, several. What do you consider a lot in a 16-minute YouTube video? I'd say it's a lot for a 16-minute YouTube video. The amount of times that he quotes or references or shows Christopher Hitchens. Um, the, the Hitchens, the, the quote that religion poisons everything, that's the subtext of uh, the subtitle of Hitchens, I think, 2008 book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. He's going to throw up a video of Hitchens here in just a little while. He's going to reference a chapter from God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens. I mean, there, there's a lot of Hitchens love going on, which is no surprise because, uh, I, you know, I was actually happy to hear, I don't remember who said it recently, someone admitted that, I know Cosmic Skeptic did a response to Hitchens and some of the things he thinks about that. Another atheist might have said, well, we have to admit that Hitchens really wasn't that philosophically minded. And so I'm glad to see some atheists on the Internet start waking up to that because, he, you know, God is not great. And Hitchens and Dawkins and all the new atheist stuff has really been uh, fodder for Internet atheism, not so much among the more academically minded um, atheists that are out there, but certainly on the internet. And, and I'm not saying these internet folks are not smart. I'm just saying they have really latched on to the uh, rhetoric of someone like Christopher Hitchens, the way that he would put things that are so aggressive and uh, as much mockery as anything of substance. Well, more, far more mockery than anything of substance. And in fact, um, that's why we see the tone on the internet. I think that we do is it's really aggressive uh, mostly young, aggressive men. Uh, I'm not saying this about rationality rules, but in general, we see this, uh, this bombastic mockery rhetoric, bumper sticker atheism. And, and it, a lot of it does come from Hitchens. So I'm not surprised when I see Hitchens all the time show up in these videos. Who, who do we reference? Oh, we re reference one of the great American philosophers of our time, William Lane Craig, along with, uh, other, other, other incredible people like Richard Swinburne, um, uh, 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 Alvin Plantinga and people like that. We, we, those are the people that you hear over and over and over again is um, these philosophers. But, but what do we get? Well, we hear Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. Okay, um, that's what we would expect. All right, so let's, um, let's, uh, let's move on. I think there was something else I wanted to say there, but we'll just keep trucking. 
What I will not stand for, however, under any circumstance whatsoever, is one, the religious claiming jurisdiction over others based on what they take on faith, and two, abuse. In nature, homosexuality is rampant, and especially in social species. If there is a god, she approves of jousting, and for us to teach children that they're going to burn in hell not for what they've done, but for who they are, is definitely abuse. Okay, so first thing we see here, this is a foreshadowing of the major problem where he's going to, I don't think intentionally straw man, but definitely create a straw man of Craig's position later on as it relates to homosexuality. But he says right there, the, actually, let's just hear the clip again because there's a couple of things I want to get to. Well, I can remember them. First of all, um, he's running off of um, an understanding of faith that is a colloquial and not biblical definition of faith. We're going to get to that later. We'll straighten all that out again for probably the 20th time on this channel and probably the millionth time by apologists on the Internet in general trying to explain to Internet atheists what we mean by faith. Uh, often the same people like Arnon Ra, for example, over and over and over and over again, or uh, Matt Dillahunty, people that absolutely have heard and it has been made clear to them what the biblical understanding of faith is, but they choose to hug to the uh, colloquial, um, provincial, chronocentric understanding of faith that they occasionally might run into among people in the pews. Um, and hanging on to that because it allows them to present this dichotomy between faith and reason that is a, absolutely a fabrication. So, um, so we'll, we'll get to that in just a few minutes in, in more detail. Um, I, but the thing is, it, God does not punish people, and, and it would be abuse to tell someone that God is going to uh, send you to hell when you didn't, when there was nothing you did or chose or anything. It's just about your, your, you know, who you are or whatever that means. Uh, that's not what we claim. That's not what biblical Christianity claims about Christianity, about homosexuality. Someone could try to make a statement like that about original sin, but I have other videos where I talk about original sin. In fact, I think I go into great detail about the Christian, uh, various Christian perspectives on original sin and how that's not necessary either in my last response to um, rationality rules, which was uh, sometime around the beginning of the year. But uh, all that to say, that's completely a misunderstanding, and we'll get to in detail why as the video rolls on, he, he misses faith. But also notice the indignation. I want you to listen to this clip again and listen to the indignation that he will not stand for this. What I will not stand for, however, stand for. Under, any under any circumstance whatsoever, is one, the religious claiming jurisdiction over others based on what they take on faith, and two, abuse. In nature, homosexuality is rampant, and especially in social species. Okay, we're going to get to the homosexuality thing again later, but here's what I want you to notice. He thinks that, th that he is indignant about this. This cannot be allowed to go on. He won't stand for it, he even says. Interesting, because I actually think, uh, I want to say something nice here. I, I think that rationality rules is a thoughtful atheist. I think he tries to engage with the evidence. I think that he tries to think about what Christians are saying most of the time. And I think he tries to engage with philosophy and think about the nature of reality and tries to be consistent with that. Um, I don't think anyone can live consistently with naturalistic atheism, but I think he tries to face this thing as it is and bite the bullet even where it's not pleasant to do so. This can never be more clear when it comes to determinism and the absence of free will on atheistic naturalism, as well as what that does to morality, accountability, blameworthiness, praiseworthiness, and that ultimately whatever you do, you could not have done otherwise. So whatever you end up doing or saying 
or whatever else or believing you, it could not have been otherwise. It was determined such that this business about, I won't stand for it. It's abuse. I I'm outraged about this. He didn't say he was outraged, but that's certainly the impression that we get from that sort of language. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, here is uh, capturing, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a cosmic skeptic having a conversation with him and asking him to detail this as best he can. You fully accepted a moment ago that uh, a man who kills somebody's family is not morally accountable. Mm -hmm. Do you feel sorry for that man? Yes. But do you really? I mean, if somebody killed your family, do, would you feel sorry for them? If they killed my family, yes. my emotions yes. would, you, you would, would overcome You it. wouldn't be able to do it. But if and they so, killed someone else's family that I don't know, I can quite get around but it. But the, the only way that you can get around it is because you need to, if you sit and really think about the, the practical uh, or the philosophical implications yes. of uh, uh, saying that free will does not exist. Mm. Okay. So, the, so basically, Stephen is saying here, yeah, if someone kills someone's family, um, I recognize that was determined. Um, I can't, let, let's get it again specifically, just the first part. We're not going to play the whole clip, just, just again at the beginning. You fully accepted a moment ago that uh, a man who kills somebody's family is not morally accountable. Mm -hmm. He's not morally accountable. In other words, this outrage and all this sort of thing, it, it shouldn't be there. Now, um, I think he's honest when, uh, first of all, that's consistent. That's consistent with atheistic naturalism uh, that has determinism. If determinism is true, hey, th this, this guy was determined, so how could he be morally culpable? How could he be blameworthy for this? And he's trying to be consistent and say, yeah, that's, he wouldn't be. Um, but then when uh, Cosmic Skeptic says, yeah, but what if it was your family? What if someone killed your family? He admits that, well, emotionally, I, I, w I would probably still have that outrage because, I, you know, we can imagine him saying, because I'm human, you know, that's, that's just how we are. That's just the, the way we were wired. Um, I would say because you intuitively know that he could have done otherwise, but that would be me putting my spin on it, what I think is true about the nature of reality. Um, and hey, it's my show after all. But, um, but, but then he says, but, but you would have to really sit down and think philosophically about this and, and remind yourself that free will isn't real, that there is no free will. What I hear going on there is, um, and, and I don't doubt that they really believe that determinism is true. I don't think they're lying about that or being disingenuous. But what I hear them saying is I really have to remind myself, I really have to pretend, I, I really have to remind myself that I'm going to have to pretend in order to take any kind of um, uh, you know, a judicial action toward this person. Now, they do get into how they think that could go. Uh, they say that they would lock up earthquakes and, and, and tornadoes if they could. And I think Sam Harris says that in his book. That's what they're talking about. There's Sam Harris's book, Free Will. But, but uh, I think we, we just really have to remind ourselves. We have to make ourselves believe that determinism is true. Um, I have a much simpler explanation for morality and free will. Um, you, you, you sense that, you intuit that, you're free, and that's because you are free. Um, you sense that people could have done otherwise and thus they're morally accountable because that's the state of affairs. They usually could have done otherwise and they are morally accountable. It's much cleaner on Christianity. You don't have to do all these gymnastics and jump through all these hoops. It's pretty simple. But what I really want you to see here is he, he's sitting here in, in the one hand saying, look, everything that people say, do, believe, whatever is determined and could not have been otherwise such that they are not morally culpable for whatever they do. 
On the other hand, I will not stand for people teaching children such and such about homosexuality. Now, again, he gets wrong what he thinks people are saying about homosexuality. Um, uh, well, at least in general, I don't know any people that say what he says and what Gervais say either, but I don't doubt they could be out there that if you turn out to have same sex attraction, that you're going to hell. I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, there are, I'm sure there are people that say that. I don't know any Christians that say that. Um, so I think that's a straw man. And again, we'll get to that. But even if that were the case, how could you have any sort of moral indignation about that when everything is just determined? People are just doing what people are doing. And whether you want to argue for some kind of subjective or objective morality with or without God, it's moot morality. It's a moot point because whatever I find myself doing, whether it's moral or immoral, I couldn't help it. I'm just doing what I was determined to do by the forces of nature. Um, all right. So so now we're going to we're going to get down to the actual two things. We're going to hear Gervais again on. Tell me why you you don't believe in God. Tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods. And that's the reason I don't believe in yours. Okay, so so tell me the reasons why you don't believe in, in the other gods, and that's the reason I don't believe in yours. All right, so let's hear Craig and Bertuzzi on this. Well, there are a number of points here. Um, he's saying that he is tolerant of people who want to be religious so long as they do not engage in behavior that injures others. And of course, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. One can similarly say we can be tolerant of atheists uh, so long as they do not engage in behavior, such as uh, Leninist-Stalinists did in the old Soviet Union uh, that hurt others as well. Okay, we're straight to pinning Stalinism on atheism. Don't waste my time. It's if you wish to see a brutal refutation of what one might dub the atheist atrocities fallacy, then I refer to you chapter 17 of God is Not Great, aptly titled An Objection Anticipated. But in short, the totalitarianism of Stalinism was a product of economic, social, and communist beliefs, not the lack of belief in a god or gods. Okay, so, uh, sorry, had to go and get my trademark Trinity Radio coffee mug that you can get as well at Teespring. So uh, let me say something about this, because this is um, something that I think is a fair point, even if we didn't have stuff like that in the history of atheism, to say what's sauce for goose is sauce for the gander. I've never heard that statement before. I've heard what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, it's William Lane Craig. Let's go with it. What's sauce for goose is sauce for the gander. If, if you're asking that, if you say, well, I'm fine with Christians being Christians or religious people being religious, just so long as they don't do anything harmful to society. Well, even if there wasn't anything in the history of atheism that was harmful to society, it's still a fair point to make. Fine, be an atheist. Just don't do anything harmful to society or whatever you want to say there. However, uh, let's talk a little bit about this because this is a little bit like, um, I mean, whenever this comes up with an atheist, any atheist I've seen this come up with, I think it gets a it, it makes them hiss, as they would say in the South. They become they start they get bowed up and hissing like an old cat when you bring out this thing about um, the 20th century atrocities of atheism. They cannot stand it, uh, and and. I mean, it's, this is a really a hot button, a button issue, and it really makes them feel sensitive. When you talk to me about the Crusades or the Spanish Inquisition or the Salem Witch Trials, I'm horrified that that happened. But, okay, Christ, people claiming Christianity 
did horrible things. Now, would you get that from reading the words of Jesus? We're Christians here. Would you get that reading from the words of Jesus? No, you would not. Um, so is that a Christian action to take? No, it is not. Now, you, if you pointed to stuff in the Old Testament, uh, you know, the war, the stuff with Canaan and the stuff that Joshua did and Moses did, um, that is a very different situation than anyone in Christianity will have uh, because these individuals had the voice of God speaking to them directly in a way that was unmistakable. Uh, so I don't doubt that a particular president or prime minister or whatever might pray, uh, might say they pray and might actually pray about what to do as it relates to war and combat, but they simply don't have the level of almost Cartesian certainty that Moses and Joshua had. Okay. So, so that this completely, off the table. So looking at the words of Jesus, looking at the New Testament, would you have any indication that this is what should be done? No, you would not. You, you wouldn't get anything like that. Now, so are those people acting Christianly? No, they're not. Are they Christians? Um, not a, if they're doing those things, I don't think so. So, aha, the, tr the no true Scotsman fallacy. Uh, guess what? There are people, there are lots of people who are not Scotsmen. Um, so it's not a fallacy if they're really not uh, Christians. So anyway, um, all, all of that's really important to say. However, let's talk a little bit about this because it does get the boo and the hissing going on. And I think there is something here to say. What people want to say about this? Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, well, we already listened to it. Um, and again, he points you to Hitchens, right? Oh, check out Hitchens on this. He'll, he'll straighten this out for you. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, atheism is a lack of belief in God as it is defined. We're going to come back to that again in a moment when we talk about faith and how people should uh, use the terminology the way their opponent is wishing it to be used. And you'll notice about this channel, I always try to say, even, regardless of what I know is going on in the academic, as the standard in academic circles on this issue. I understand that my interlocutors on YouTube prefer to define atheism as a mere lack of belief in God and not a positive disbelief in God, a belief that God does not exist. Um, I just remain unconvinced. It's a lack of belief. Okay, uh, that, that's, that's, that's fine. So you say, well, that's just one aspect of um, of the, of the worldviews of these individuals. Therefore, it doesn't explain the whole thing. It's really the communism or something else that is the ideology behind it. Um, and and you know, I've even heard some people say, uh, if all these guys have mustaches, isn't, I mean, that's just something that's true. You don't say mustaches are the reason. Well, that's because mustaches are completely inert when it comes to worldview. Let, let me uh, just unpack this just a little bit. Uh, I understand that you don't that you want to make clear that atheism is not a worldview. It's just one tiny aspect of a worldview. However, if you study something like Quine's web of beliefs, you understand that our, our web of beliefs, which is our worldview, our beliefs are interconnected such that they can affect each other. Um, when atheism enters a worldview, it affects the web. It affects the web on some central issues. I can prove this to you. Just ask yourself this question. How do I answer the major questions of life? Those questions being, how did I get here? How did mankind get here? What's the meaning or purpose of life if there is one? Why is there evil or, or suffering? However you want to say that. What happens when we die, if anything? Now, think about those questions. How do we get here? What's the meaning of life? From whence cometh suffering? And what happens when we die? Those questions are at the center of anyone's thoughtful worldview. And guess what? Does atheism coming into a worldview impact the answers to those questions? 
at the core, it impacts the answers to those questions. Christians answer those questions. Muslims answer those questions. Hindus answer those questions differently from each other and all diametrically different from how atheists answer those questions. Of course, if atheism comes into a worldview, it can, in a sense, be said to be an atheist worldview because it impacts it greatly. Do the answers to those questions, therefore, impact how someone will treat religious organizations at a government level within a country? Does it impact how people will treat anthropology and how they will look at other individuals? At the core, it affects those things. Beyond that, I actually have a video on this channel about is atheism a worldview? And um, we, I actually show the Pew Research data. Atheists are vast, like overwhelmingly the same in their views of, um, uh, of abortion, of, of course, evolution, of, uh, I, I can't remember some of the, uh, homosexuality, gay marriage, things like that. There is an overwhelming agreement on those things. Why? Because it not only affects atheism, and I understand it's correlation, not necessarily causation, but I think we know that the vast majority of atheists are going to be somewhat united on those issues. There are some disparate beliefs about abortion, let's say, but still overwhelmingly it's, it's going to be a pro-choice position, I suspect. And I think you do too. It's same with gay marriage, same with evolution, same with um, uh, these other things. So um, it not only affects, atheism being a part of your worldview, not only affects these major central questions that any worldview has to ask, but it also affects your social views in a major way. So, yes, I think we can honestly say that atheism is not just one little aspect. It's just a lack of belief. I really I don't know that the atheists saying that have thought much about this, but that strikes me as a bit disingenuous. If you're aware of how much it changes, must how much it must change with these uh, central questions and how much it can and often usually does change, almost always changes these social views. So um, would that have impacted what happened with these uh, with these regimes? Of course, of course it would. But in any case, it doesn't really matter because Craig's comment still stands that if you're going to say, I don't mind you being a Christian so long as you don't do whatever that's harmful to society, we can say, hey, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. We can say it right back to you, even if it had been the case that atheism had never led to anything awful in society. So I think all of that is important. All right, so let's get on to this thing now about faith and reason. Craig's main claim is that tolerance goes both ways, and while I of course agree with him, it's vital to emphasize the substantial difference between faith-based and reason-based intolerance. For instance, it is with reason that we are intolerable of intoxicated people driving, for they are likely to cause serious accidents, whereas it's with faith that some people have been intolerable of people wearing garments made of both wool and linen, as decreed by Leviticus 19.19 and Deuteronomy 22.11. Yeah, okay, so this relies, again, on this very chronocentric and provincial understanding of faith that is not the biblical understanding of pistis faith. Um, the, the, the understanding is that faith is trust or a level of confidence in something or a strong conviction. Everyone loves to go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, um, which is faith is, the, faith is the evidence of things unseen. Actually, the way it should be translated is, and this, listen, among the scholarly communities, this is not controversial, is something more like faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you have a strong conviction that when someone goes out drunk driving that that is unsafe and can lead to catastrophe? You do? Oh, well, that's what we're saying uh, we're doing. We're trusting. We have we trust that if someone goes out and drinks, that can lead to collisions, catastrophe, things like that. And we trust that God's going to do for us in the future what he said he would do based on what we have good evidence to believe he's done in the past. Just like you trust that, out, you know, if we made drinking and driving legal, it would lead to more deaths, automobile accidents and things like that because of we have good evidence of that from the past. Faith is confidence. Faith is trust. Faith is a conviction. Um, the word pistis, I, and I can, I can prove it to you from extra biblical literature. The word pistis, by the way, is used 227 times in the uh, New Testament. I can give you how many times and where it's used in each book of the New Testament. And also, um, here, is, here is a section of a letter from Theophilus of Antioch uh, to, uh, in his letter to Autolycus, book 1, chapter 8. And now notice how this is used, how faith is used. Do you not know that faith is the leading principle in all matters? For what husbandman can reap unless he first trusts his seed to the earth or who can cross the sea unless he first entrusts himself to the boat and the pilot and what sick person can be healed unless he unless first he trusts himself to the care of the physician and what art or knowledge can anyone learn unless he first applies and entrusts himself to the teacher if then the husbandman trusts the earth and the sailor the boat and the sick the physician will you not place your confidence in god even when you hold so many pledges at his hand so this all begins with, do you not know that faith is the leading principle in all matters? And then he gives these examples where, based on good evidence, you trust in these different things. And then, therefore, you have confidence um, in God on, on the basis of these things. So I'm starting to think, and I, I'm not, I don't know that I've ever said this in a video about, just, uh, about um, Stephen, and I don't know if Stephen has ever watched one of my videos. But what I do want to make very clear is YouTube atheists who have been corrected on this and been shown the evidence, people like Aaron Raw, and then continue to hug to this colloquial person in the pews understanding of faith, it's starting to feel disingenuous. <laughs> starting to is, is a big understatement. You now understand how the Bible means the term. You understand the truth about that. Nobody's using sophistry. Nobody's mixing things around. Nobody's doing word salad. This is just good exegesis. This is just good, good understanding of the languages and the terminology. So, um, you know, this doesn't happen so much among the academics when we're talking about hermeneutics and stuff like this. And so I, I really hope that that. So is that at odds with reason? No, it's reasonable not to allow drunk driving because it can lead to these things. How do we know that? Well, we trust that it'll lead to those things based on what we have good reason to believe happened in the past. Right. Our confidence is high about that. Okay, same thing. We trust that God's going to do for us in the future what he said he would do on the basis of what we have good reason to believe he's done in the past. There's a trust. There's a confidence there, not without evidence, but based on evidence. So when you talk about wearing mixed fabric and, and, and people took that on faith, those people of all people had really good reason to believe that what God says you should do, you should totally do. So they followed what God wanted them to do because they trusted, had good evidence that that's what they should do based on what's happened in the past with the nation of Israel with God. So even in a weird case like that, it still doesn't break this apart. I'm sorry, but words mean things and they don't necessarily mean what you'd like them to mean to make a case or what you thought they meant before watching this video. Um, so go look up 
pistis in a good lexicon yourself and, and maybe check this out. Um, so a faith is not at all at odds with reason. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on now to the, where Stephen further defends what, uh, Gervais has said here about, well, let's just hear it. He says, uh, I, I, I believe, I, I don't believe in your God for the same reason you don't believe in all those other gods. One correction though, would need to be made. He says the reason he doesn't believe in, um, the God of Christianity is the same reason that Christians don't believe in the gods of, say, Islam or some other religion. And that's simply not true. What he's assuming is that there is no evidence for any of these religious beliefs and that therefore they're just arbitrary. But if you have good arguments for Christian theism, such as I've offered, then it's simply not true that my reasons for disbelieving in, say, Islam are exactly the same as arguments that might be offered against Christian theism. To put it bluntly, Craig has completely missed the point here. He, he is not convinced of, say, the existence of Osiris. And the reason for that, it's fair to assume, is because he doesn't find the evidence sufficient. Well, that is precisely why Gervais does not believe in the existence of the Christian God. Hence him saying, Tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods, and that's the reason I don't believe in yours. He's not saying that it's because of the exact litany of reasons, but rather that it's for... What, what, why is he saying it then, Stephen? ...same overarching reasons. What are they? He finds the evidence poor, the arguments fallacious, and the convenience just a tad egocentristic. Is that really? Why? Um, here's the thing. You might be able to dig around and find a clip from Ricky Gervais saying exactly those things. Uh, perhaps. I, I'm sure that Ricky Gervais, I know that he is aware that there are Christian apologists who offer evidences, but William Lane Craig is responding to what's in that clip. And what's in that clip is simply this. Tell me the reasons why you don't believe in all the other gods, and that's the reason I don't believe in yours. That's all that he said. So it is fair for Craig to assume, based on that little bit of, of a statement, that so you're 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 treating religion like they're all equally valid and in your opinion all equally false that's certainly what it sounds like what he's saying so i don't believe in your god for the same reasons you don't believe in these other gods no no no. we don't believe in islam because the nature of allah is contradictory and the things that are supposed to be true about the greatest prophet are not true about the greatest prophet along with a lot of other things we don't believe in islam because um, the, the Quran says about Jesus, he did not die, they did not crucify him, which contradicts at the core of the Christian message, which we think we have good arguments and evidences for. And we also think that that evidence backs up Jesus's claims about who he was as God's special eschatological agent to bring about the kingdom. And if he's representing the God of the Jews, this Yahweh, then that, of course, knocks down Hinduism, as well as a lot of other logical problems knock down Hinduism. We could keep doing this with, mu with multitudes of other religions. We have really good evidential reasons for rejecting those other religions and accepting the truth of the Christian uh, religion. It's not because it's, it's not just that, oh, well, we reject Christianity. You reject Christianity for the same reasons that we reject these others, unless Stephen Woodford does what he has to do, which is to back out of that and make some ambiguous claim and then add to what Ricky Gervais has said. Ricky Gervais didn't say anything about assessing the evidence. He didn't say anything about these things being egocentric or whatever. He didn't say any of that.
That was all Stephen Woodford putting that on Ricky Gervais' lips. Now, perhaps somewhere Ricky Gervais has said that. But it strikes me a little bit as like this trope that, that happens a lot in television and movies um, where some person who isn't really saying a whole lot and then someone listening says, are you so I think what you're trying to tell me is this. And then they list off uh, 15 different things that you couldn't at all have drawn from what the character said. There's a great show, uh, or I don't know where to recommend this show, but there's a show called The Good Place with Ted Danson. Perhaps you've seen it. And there's a character that, at least in the first season of The Good Place, is uh, John Yu. He's a monk, or he's supposed to be a Tibetan monk, but in reality, there's some confusion. He's not really a Tibetan monk. He's a DJ, and he doesn't really know a whole lot. He's kind of a dopey character. But because he's a Tibetan monk, or they think he is, he can pretend that he's taking this vow of silence and nobody will know. And Ted Danson often comes to him for advice. John Yu. I need advice on this. Wise, wise John Yu. Well, John Yu never says anything. But Ted Danson always, already, always comes away, I think what you're telling me is this and that and that I should this and that. And um, I'm getting a little bit of a vibe like that from what's going on here is that uh, Stephen's like, what Ricky is really saying, and then there's like three or four things that Ricky Gervais never said in this clip. Now, again, I know Ricky Gervais is aware of Christian apologetics. So perhaps he would agree I'm, I, with all that Stephen says, but he didn't do that in this clip. And Craig's responding to this clip. And I don't suspect that William Lane Craig is aware of the tomes of the great philosopher Ricky Gervais that are out there somewhere that we can access. So um, he's responding to what's in this clip. He, what, if, he, if he misunderstood Gervais's point, then that's on Gervais because he didn't make it clear enough. He didn't say anything about all those things that Stephen brought up. And I think that's a very important piece to mention here. All right, so let's go on to this next thing about homosexuality. Uh, it's when uh, I see some of these religious fundamentalists saying that um, they've told their five-year-old children that if they turn out gay, they will burn in hell. Mm. That, to me, is child abuse. Okay, so let's now hear uh, what Craig and Bertuzzi think. I just want to say as well, I don't know of any Christian parent who says to um, his child, if you are gay, then you're going to burn in hell. That's, I think, a cruel caricature. Uh, I don't know of any Christian parent who says such a thing. Yeah, that was actually a good point. My, my wife brought that up. She was like, who is telling their five-year-old kid that they're yeah. going to, to spend eternity in hell if they're gay. It's like Christians don't do that. It's just a, a weird no. thing to say. Yeah, and it yeah. also is kind of like a caricature of, of Christian theology, right? I've had to play this segment back several times as it's quite frankly bizarre. Craig and Bertuzzi claim that they don't know of any Christian who tells their child that if they're gay, they're going to hell. I don't know of any Christian parent who says such a thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what rock are they living under? I'm actually flabbergasted to see Craig, a renowned theologian, utter such tripe. He's either woefully unaware of Christian literature and Christian life, which for a theologian is embarrassing, or he's lying, which according to the Bible at least, is a sin. Actually, there that's a false dichotomy. Um, the reality is, it could be that you misunderstand biblical Christianity's teaching on this and what exactly he's saying. This is where we have this kind of a... a, of a straw man I think he says more let's go ahead and let me get the uh, let's get the full thing out here let's let's get the full expression of this out from Stephen before I respond 
Gervais has exposed a form of Christian child abuse, and Craig and Bertuzzi have just straight up denied it. No apologetics, no interpretation wars, just straight up denial. Yeah, that was actually a good point. My, my wife brought that up. She was like, who is telling their five-year-old kid that they're yeah. going to, to spend eternity in hell if they're gay? It's like, Christians don't do that. It's just a, a weird no. thing to say. Yeah, and it yeah. also is kind of like a caricature of, of Christian theology, right? The Bible doesn't teach that homosexuals are sent to hell. It teaches that unrepentant sinners send themselves to hell. Yeah. I despise this sophistry. Homosexual behavior was a major cause of the divine judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. And the Apostle Paul lists homosexuals among the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in response to the vacuous platitude that is hate the sin, not the sinner, I say hate Christianity, not the Christian. The fact that Christians hate the sin rather than the sinner is an implicit indication that many of the edicts of Christianity are immoral. It's a subtle form of cognitive dissonance. The, you know, the, the level of confusion that Stephen has on this issue, but yet thinks he understands it better than William Lane Craig and Cameron Bertuzzi, or they're lying, is absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. So what's actually going on here? Well, here's the thing. When, when they say that, so there, there's two things going on here. There is a person experiencing same-sex attraction who we might call a homosexual, or there is the person who is engaging in homosexual behavior who we might call a homosexual. This is uh, something that I think is relevant to this discussion. So we're gonna talk in a minute about whether you can choose to uh, be a homosexual. Well, it may well be that you can't choose to have same-sex attraction. A lot of Christians do get squeamish about that whole notion, but I don't have a problem with it. We live in a fallen world. It could be that because we live in a sinful world, a world wrecked by sin, that, uh, that certain things are not the way that God designed them or intended them. And so it could well be that someone has a genetic predisposition toward a homosexual or same-sex attraction. Um, we certainly know that happens with other things. And we'll get to that in just a moment because it's going to make for a great um, analogy or, or point that I want to make. Um, so you could have same-sex attraction and have not chosen to have same-sex attraction. But then whether you're going to act on that behavior is something that you choose to do. So Craig is saying something like this. He's saying, look, nobody's going to tell their kid that if they are homosexual, that is, if they experience same-sex attraction, that means they're going to hell. But Cameron Bertuzzi corrects this unrepentant behavioral, you know, going forward, behaving homosexually, that is acting on your homosexual desire and not repenting of that. That's yeah, you're going to you're not a Christian if that's the case about you. And, and yeah, people that aren't Christians go to hell. You, you know why? It's not because of the homosexuality. It's because someone who is a liar or a gossip or a hypocrite or a thief and intentionally is going on in that without repenting of that is someone who's unrepentant. And, uh, and, and if you don't repent, you can't even become a Christian. Now, is there any basis for what I'm saying here in Scripture? Like, how, how do I think that this is being read wrong? Well, let's go to the—so the passage about Sodom doesn't support his case at all because this is describing what happened. But let's go to a passage where there is teaching going on. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, this is where Stephen read, but interestingly, he didn't read the whole thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, 
uh, and then it goes on, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Now, here's the key question. When it says such were some of you, does it mean that the people who engaged previously in these sins no longer have a temptation to engage in those sins? Or does it mean they were miraculously delivered and ontologically changed such that they can't want to engage in those sins or they no longer have those desires at all? In other words, take the thief. I mean, it's not just homosexuals that are listed here. Take the thief or the drunkard. Um, Does the thief or the covetous person never have a desire to have something that's not his, a temptation? Uh, or, Or the drunkard never again has a temptation to take a drink? Um, maybe, but that's not required by this passage. And personal experience tells us that's absolutely not the case. There are sins that I believe I've repented of and put behind me. And we could say about me, um, such were some of you, you used to be that kind of person, but you're not anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't have the temptation to still do those things. It just means I don't do those things, right? Because I have the reformer of the Holy Spirit that, um, that convicts me of sin, that, that when I'm about to step in a big pile of sin, don't do that, you know? Um, so when we come to the issue of homosexuality, what I see happening here is an individual who was involved in homosexual behavior, who has now been changed as such were some of you there were corinthians who were involved in homosexual behavior who are now not involved in homosexual behavior just like a thief is no longer involved in thievery or the 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 drunkard is no longer getting drunk it doesn't mean that the drunkard doesn't have a desire for alcohol or the thief doesn't have a desire for someone else's stuff or that the homosexual doesn't necessarily still have same-sex attraction See, this is, this is the, now, could, so I know some people who interpret this passage to mean that a homosexual who becomes a Christian or repents of it is going to be spiritually changed, supernaturally changed, such that now they are heterosexual in their desires. And I certainly believe God can do that, and, and I believe on testimony of people that he has done that, but I have no reason to believe there's a guarantee that he'll do that. In fact, I have good reason to believe there's no guarantee that he'll do that. Just like there's no guarantee, and I've never even heard someone suggest that someone who was a thief will never again have a desire to, to steal from someone. So, so th- this is important to understand. The reason that it was a false dichotomy to say either Craig doesn't know what's going on or he's lying is no. It could be the case that he doesn't know anyone who tells their kids, if you experience same-sex attraction, are a hom- homosexual in your orientation, which is the word he kept using. Um, I don't know anyone who's going to say that if you have that, that orientation that you're going to hell because of it. But if you are unrepentant about sinful behavior, okay, well, then that means you're not really a Christian because Christians are repentant. They've trusted Christ. Now, also, I need to clarify for the Christian audience, this is not a works-based salvation. We don't believe that you do good works and thereby you're saved um, or that you maintain your salvation by good works. But that if you really become a Christian, then we should see a difference in how you behave. Um, Not that you won't make mistakes. You know, I've often said that if a person who is same-sex attracted and has been involved in homosexual behavior, um, you know, wanted to become a member of a local church or something, and they're repentant about that, come on in, brother. Come on in, sister. We're all sinners. Um, And they may even make mistakes going forward, but the desire should be to live as God wants them to live. Now, I do understand that this is... Um, a great sacrifice on the part of 
the person who is same-sex attracted and a Christian. Because if God doesn't supernaturally change their desires, which I don't think they have a guarantee he'll do, then they are then having to give up an aspect of the human experience that I don't have to give up. And that's, that's, that's a sacrifice. And when someone does such a thing for the sake of the kingdom and their love for Jesus and their commitment to Christianity, I think those people should be celebrated in the church. So they, they are by no means a second-class citizen or something like that. But because of, a, of an, a lack of awareness, I mean, this what I just expressed to you is in the commentaries. You can find this written by Christian authors. You can find this from exegetes out there. Um, and the idea that someone would, uh, that you'd make a video and not consult some of those things to try and understand how people understand the passage that you referenced is a real problem because now you've painted uh, Craig in a certain light that it doesn't represent the truth. Now, I don't think he meant to straw man Craig. I just think that because he wasn't aware of how biblical Christianity looks at this, and this is not word salad. This is not trying to twist things around. You know, he said a moment ago, there's no apologetics. There's no interpretation or anything like that. Well, that's because Ricky Gervais didn't offer anything. But since you did, you're getting it now. This is how you exegete this. This is how you interpret this. So um, it would have been nice if you'd done that before. But hey, I like rationality rules. We're not going to hold it against him. But uh, let's just move on now and see the next thing. All right, let's move on to the next argument from Gervais and see how Craig responds. Just because they're offended by someone being gay, it doesn't mean they're right. You know, it's a strange thing that comes out of the... the um, gay, being gay is a choice. No, being gay isn't a choice. You know, I want to go, well, go, go, you try it then. Mm. If it's a choice, have a go. <laughs> See how much you like it, you know. Well, the implication here, I take it, is that if having a homosexual orientation is not a choice, if this is somehow either biologically based or it's ingrained into you by your upbringing so that involuntarily you have such an orientation, that therefore you are morally free to act out on that orientation. And that seems to me to be an extraordinarily superficial and even dangerous view of ethics. Once again, Craig has missed the point. Gervais is not arguing that because homosexuality is natural, it's therefore morally permissible. He is not, in fact, making any ethical statement whatsoever. What he's criticizing is the predominantly Abrahamic belief that homosexuality is a choice. Now, I wonder what he means predominantly Abrahamic belief, that homosexuality is a choice. I wonder what he means by, like, to have the desires, I guess. Uh, again, we're not getting the nuance that would be necessary there. But, um... But what does he mean by predominantly Abrahamic? That it's mostly like Jews, Christians, and Muslims who think that way, or that the Bible actually teaches that? That would be helpful, because I'm not so sure. He's saying that if you're convinced that gays choose to be sexually attracted to the same sex... Okay, now notice, he's gone back and forth. A minute ago when he was talking about Scripture, he talked about the behavior. Now he's talking about choosing to be attracted to the same sex. That, that, that is sloppy, because, and it led to the confusion that he's got. It follows that you could choose right now to be gay, which you can't. 
The extended implication here, at least as I see it, is that given that one doesn't choose to be gay, only a repugnantly evil god would create his children irreversibly sick and then command them to be well on threat of them being forever barred from heaven. Yeah, well, that's not what's going on. It's, again, they're not being barred from heaven because... They're, they're really not even being barred from heaven because of homosexual behavior. But they're certainly not being barred because they have same-sex attraction. You can't make that case from Scripture. Behavior, you, you have to talk about the behavior. That is something they choose to engage in. So this, this business about choosing to be gay or not, it, it's a complete red herring from what's really going on. It's about whether or not uh, they are repentant, as Cameron rightly pointed out. And if the behavior continues, it's, it's not that that's sending them to hell. It's that the behavior going on, unrepentant, is an indication that this person doesn't know Jesus because people who know Jesus have repented of their sins. Again, doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, but if they continue on such that we can describe their life as a homosexual one, as one, a person engaging in homosexuality regularly, the behavior, that's a whole different ball of wax from, um, from, from whether you have same-sex desires. And I think that's, I, I, I don't, I don't know. But but then here comes the point where he admits that he knows that Craig and Bertuzzi are not, I guess Craig, is not saying what he's suggesting they might possibly be saying. But he throws it out there anyway. And the very idea that he would throw it out there anyway is unnecessary. And I want to know the motivation for that. Uh, imagine, for example, that pedophilia was not a choice, but had a biological base or was ingrained into someone by uh, child abuse as a young uh, youngster. Would that person therefore be free to simply act out on that orientation and do as he wills? I, I don't think we'd say that at all. There now, before, before Stephen answers, let's clarify exactly what Craig is obviously and clearly saying, if we're having a sober-minded discussion here, what Craig, all Craig is saying, Craig is not saying homosexual people are like pedophiles. He's not saying that homosexual people all become pedophiles or any of these kind of things that do sometimes come up, uh, like, like from these new independent fundamentalist people, that, that sort of thing, that crowd. He's not saying any of that sort of thing. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, let me go to an extreme. This is how you do things when you're, when you're trying, to, trying to talk about a philosophical idea or, or put something out there. You're, you're looking at the, you test these things at the fringes. You test them at the extremes so that it's really obvious the point you're making. This is why Hitler comes up in every moral discussion imaginable because he is the fringe. He is the obvious representation of evil right, uh, of mankind at, at its worst. And so what, what, what he's saying here is he's saying, look, take someone who we all agree, an activity we all agree is horrific and evil, and that is pedophilia. He's saying, now, if someone had a natural tendency toward that, or let's say a, a tendency because of, like he says, abuse as a child themselves, would that make it okay to then engage in pedophilia? No, it would not, of course. And even though Stephen Woodford thinks that Craig was misunderstanding Gervais' point, Craig's making this point. Therefore, if someone has a genetic predisposition or something in early childhood led to their involuntary same-sex attraction, 
it doesn't mean that it's necessarily moral or ethical to act on that. That's his point. He's not comparing these two. Now, if you've got an issue with that, um, understand we couldn't make this point. No one could make this point without pointing to something that everyone recognizes fits that category and is wrong. But what invariably happens is that someone will say from the other side, oh, see, you're trying to compare. You're trying to compare this to thieves or covetous people or drunkards or pedophilia. We're, yeah, we're not, comp we're not saying that there's a relationship between these two, except for the fact that we're talking about things that someone may have, um, uh, have developed this desire for a particular thing uh, without intending to develop that desire. It just came through genetically or part of childhood development. Um, same thing can happen with anger issues. Some people have more of a propensity toward anger. Oh, you're saying that people that experience same-sex attraction are like angry people. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying they're like pedophiles. We're not saying they're like thieves. That's not the point. And that is a red herring from actually what's going on. Now, let's find out. Is Stephen Woodford going to help us out with that? Or is he going to drag the red herring out there a little bit further? Let's, let's see. There's a long history of Christians conflating acts of homosexuality with acts of pedophilia. Oh, he's going to continue the red herring all while ignoring the absolutely crucial fact that the former is based on informed consent and the latter is not. Absolutely. Look at me, Internet. Look at me, Stephen Woodford, if you ever see this. I am happy to agree with you that pedophilia is worse, far worse than homosexuality or fornication or adultery or whatever else. It's far worse. Um, well, not, not whatever else, but, but a lot of those kind of things. Wait a minute, Braxton, are you agreeing that some sin? I thought all sins were created equal. Uh, some sins are worse than others. Uh, now, this is the way I, I look at it. We all need Jesus because we're all sinners. So if you drop one droplet of grape juice on a carpet, a white carpet, or if you dump a whole gallon, in either case, that carpet needs to be cleaned. But one is a whole lot worse than the other. Relevant thing to mention here. I'd like to think that Craig is not dog-whistling here, but is rather bolstering his accusation of the naturalistic fallacy. Exactly, because that was the context. And I am, in fact, going to assume as much. That's good, then why did you bring this up? But for what it's worth, I do think that both Craig and Batuzzi did the homosexual community a disservice here. Um, I think that Stephen Woodford did Bertuzzi and Craig a disservice here by suggesting that they might be saying something that they did not say. And um, so I'm, I'm sure it really bothers them a whole lot that you um, have that position that they did a disservice, but, but it's actually, it actually is the complete other way around because that was not the point they were making and you made it sound like it was. Even if you said you're gonna assume it wasn't, you certainly suggested it. So um, I've said some straightforward things here, but I, I do like Stephen as an individual. I think that what I can say about him is he does try to uh, understand things at a philosophical level. He, he seems academically minded as far as that goes. I, 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 like, uh, I like the direction he goes. I like the topics that he tries to cover in his videos. And I'm sure I'd have a great conversation with him if he was sitting in the room with me right now. So it's nothing personal. I always wanna say on these shows, I'm not attacking the individual, I'm attacking the uh, concepts. And concepts are up for grabs. A lot of horrible things have happened in the history of the world because people were afraid to confront ideologies. Ideologies are not persons. And I'm not attacking the person, but I am attacking the ideologies. 
Listen, I, I appreciate you all taking the time to watch this video. Again, uh, check us out on patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. Um, check us out on the Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion Group on Facebook. Follow me at, at Brax Hunter on Twitter. And I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.